morning, everybody. John's coming up to join me. We're in a uh, series on vocation that uh, Kenny kicked off last week. And by the way, if you didn't get to hear the sermon last week, just leave right now and go listen to it. <laughs> it was so good. Um, but he talked about creation, fall, redemption, and restoration and the story of God and what vocation looks like throughout the story of God. So um, what we're going to do today is a little different. We're going to start off um, just with a quick interview, kind of about this time tomorrow when you're at work, when you're in your vocation, how is your vocation reflective of the story of God? Where does the way things were meant to be show up, and, and uh, how has the fall affected your vocation and things like that? So I asked John last minute if he would hop up here with me and try this out. So this is different, but this is going to be fun, I think. So you ready? You ready. Give John a hand. <laughs> so how would you describe your vocation? Um, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a rapper. It's the worst intro ever when you tell, <laughs> tell your, your, your girlfriend's dad that you're a rapper. It's like, oh, it's gone. But yeah, I'm a, I'm a rapper. I'm a, a songwriter. Um, do, do, uh, screenwriting too. Um, but I'd say those three, with entertainment in general, but I'd say yeah. those three, uh, you know, songwriter, rapper, and, and screenwriter. It's a lot of creative work. Yeah. As, as an image bearer of God, um, how does your work reflect some of the aspects of God's, you know, creative work? Um, I, well, just as a creative, I'd say, mm. you know, um, uh, God is the ultimate creative because you, you got to sit there and you got to think oh man um i want to make something that'll that i could that other people will get to enjoy yeah you know what i mean like you know, no disrespect to the accountants here but nobody enjoys a spreadsheet you know what I'm, like no one's like oh man oh, i'm so glad i got this email that i'm gonna delete in four minutes um i'm sorry i feel like i just offended a lot of people no one i just bombed holy smokes but uh but um, <laughs> but you know it's it's fun when you make a song. Um, you know, like it's it's when you read the the creation story. Um, you if you pay attention, you see God cares about like color palettes, mm, um, yeah. and and cares about um, you know textures and sounds mm. and and design the way things are shaped. Um, he made the ultimate design us. Yeah, you know the the first computers. You know, yeah. um, so so as a, it's it's fun getting to. It's like uh, being in a, a fraternity almost. Yeah. Um, like coming from that legacy of of God as the first creator. Mm. That's 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 a really interesting way of looking at it. I love that. Seeing basically seeing God's work passed down through you, you taking For on sure. a portion of it. Yeah. That's cool. How does your how does your work give you a unique vantage point, as you look at the world around you and all the brokenness out there, how, how does your work specifically give you a vantage point into that brokenness from the fall? Um, it's cool because every everything I do, everything I, I create, every um, every song, every every snare drum, every um, every lyric, every melody, every you know, rhyme that you, you're singing along in, in your
head. Or even if you're like a designer, mm-hmm. I, I want to touch on that. Like if I'm a graphic designer, you actually get to speak into brokenness, I'd say more than anyone else because mm. um, your average person that gets up, you wake up and you, you grab your toothpaste, your, your toothbrush, let's say you start there, and um, you don't think about it, but someone designed that toothbrush and was like, I think I can make this better. Mm. Um, and you know they brush their teeth and they put the toothbrush down and they go on with their day. Get rid of the brokenness of tooth decay. It's not where I was going. No? Oh. I like it, though. <laughs> I alleyed, you ooped. But, uh, but, you know, like, that just informed their day, and they, don't, they didn't right. even know it. Um, mm. And then all the more, you know, people get home from work, and they're like, oh, man, what a long day of work. I just want to unplug. Let me turn on the radio on this drive home. Let me turn on the TV and watch a show. Mm. Let me read this book. Let me look at this funny magazine. Um, let me go on YouTube and just watch videos yeah. so I can unplug. Um, and let me go eat a meal that a chef made uh, that makes me feel better or that informs the way I feel about things. Mm. So I think I'm, I'm actually ever present in, in, that, in that mix, in that yeah. rhythm. And that's why it's important that, um, you know, what I say, what I do, mm. because, you know, whether you know, actively or passively, it's going to hit people, it's going to reach people. Mm. And um, the hope is that, you know, what I'm saying, what I'm creating is going to hit someone and cause a reaction, whether it's, oh, I hate this, or, oh, man, I love this. This is, this is changing the way I interact with people mm. and interact spiritually and interact with my family and all these things, with my community. Um, my hope is that what I'm doing sticks. Love that. Yeah. So in, in some ways, it kind of cuts through the darkness and brings some light into yeah, the, uh, um, a dark world. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. Last question. Jesus commands us to, to love our neighbors as ourselves. How does your work function as an opportunity to love and serve others? And I think you're kind of getting at that with this. but Yeah. I'm, it's because I could, I could make a song. I could write a song, and uh, it could take me two years, three years, um, yo, it took me, here's, here's a, it took me three years to make my first, my first mixtape. It's called Clown Town. It's on iTunes, Spotify, <laughs> Tidal, YouTube. Go check it out. Um, but, uh, <laughs> I had to do it. You gave me a mic. But, um, no, it took me, it took me three years to make that because I was still in the military when I made it. It took me three years. Yeah. Three years. My money, my time, mm. um, you know, sleepless all-nighters, sleepless nights. I put it out, release it. You know, like two minutes, within two minutes of releasing it, like, you know, I read the comments. I'll, 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 I'll be honest. This is trash. You know what I mean? I'm like, yo, you weren't even there. You weren't there for any of that. And you know already this is trash. This is horrible. Um, and, like, you know, that's service, though. That's, that's yeah. serving people. Um, service could be like that sometimes. Mm. And as a creative, that's what you do. It's like yeah. I'm caring for you, what I'm making in my home that could take days, every song I'm writing, like this isn't even for me. Because mm. I don't get to decide if it's good or not. I don't get to decide if it changes your life or affects you or, or um, affects change in your heart. Mm. Um, but I hope it does. I pray it does. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, you, I think you learn a lot about that. I mean, that's what Jesus did, you mm. know. He, 
um, he, he, he literally gave everything. Yeah. He literally gave everything. Um, That's awesome. And, uh, and we get to enjoy it, receive it, mm. celebrate it, be blessed by it. And um, yeah, man, this is just a, you know, a, a reflection of that. And I hope uh, a bridge to that, too, at mm. the same time. Yeah. So good, man. I'm going to spring something on you. Would you mind, we, we have a lot of creatives in our, in our community, um, and so in some ways you're up here kind of representing some of them. Would you, would you say a brief prayer blessing over the, uh, over the creatives that yeah, we have absolutely. in the I'd city? Yeah, I'd love to. And, and the rest of the church as well throughout San Diego that are trying to create culture and, and yeah. highlight God's you know, beauty and holiness throughout the yeah, culture. Yeah, for sure. Thanks, man. Um, Heavenly Father, you are, uh, you are the first actual... Um, you know, you are the first uh, musician you created sound. You're the first artist you created uh, palettes and, and, and textures. You're the first fashion designer. You clothed Adam and Eve. Um, <laughs> yeah. You are, so you are the first person to say, I have an idea, let there be, mm. and it will serve people and bless them. Mm. Um, and you know you've you've given so many of your children that same spirit, um, and I ask that uh, this morning you encourage them mm. and remind them that what they're doing is good, that you are well pleased, and you are saying yes, go create, create, create. Mm. They need me, they need this, And uh, please bless the work of their hands. Give them favor, unprecedented favor, um, unmerited favor. Um, and let the world see what they're making and be like, this isn't just about me. This is not about them. There is something greater yeah. Yeah. behind the work of this person's hands. Amen. Amen. Thanks, John. John Ham. Cool. So uh, we're going to be in Genesis chapter one and two today. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Um, let me ask you guys while we're getting going. How many of you have felt this this past year? Have you had moments where you just felt too busy? Yeah. At least, at least 10% of us have felt too busy in the last year. How about the last month, the last week? Yeah, just exhausted, burnt out. Start to, like, your eyes, like the world starts to get smaller. The darkness starts to close in a little bit. Um, here's some comments from people this past week uh, that I talked to, and I would jot them down. Um, I feel trapped in my lifestyle. I always seem to take on too much. I feel guilty about the tensions between work and family. I just don't want to be busy all the time. It's a big issue, isn't it? We have a, we have a culture that's a workaholic culture. And this work-life balance is off. Here's some statistics that I pulled off today. Washington Post says we're busy with our job. The average American works 47-hour work weeks. And in major cities that can climb as high as 60 to 80 hours on average. 
yet most workers feel like they never have the time to get anything done. CNN said that only 50% of Americans use all of their allotted vacation time. How's that, how's that affect our emotions? Yeah. Uh, CNN, in a six-year study of 2,500 workers, those who worked 11-hour days were two and a half times more likely to become depressed than those who worked eight-hour days. And yet we still work those 50, 60-hour work weeks, don't we? You ever pause and say, for what? Why, why am I working so hard? What am I hoping to get from all my work? Just a paycheck? Or maybe what that paycheck represents for me? Some measure of success or maybe my provision or my security or my value? For some of us, I think our paychecks even can really resonate with, like, we feel like that's the measure of our identity at times. Uh, Chuck Palahniuk, in one of my favorite books, uh, said this, um, Fight Club, by the way, said, Advertising has us chasing cars and clothes, working jobs we hate so that we can buy stuff we don't need. Is, is he right? Yeah. Look at the difference in your workplace on a Monday and a Friday. All right, this is, it, like, how, there's no thank God it's Monday. No TGIM. <laughs> we spend over a third of our life in our workplace, at our jobs, and for some of us, that's like a third too much, you know. Um, we work these 50, 60-hour work weeks, and we're working ourselves to death. I, I shared this about a year ago. There's a BBC news report, um, and, and the title of the report was The Japanese Culture. The Japanese are working themselves to death. Here's a quote from it. In Japan, there's not a term for work-life balance. What there is, though is a word for death by overwork, skaroshi. And it's considered such an inevitable result of Japan's notoriously grueling work culture that it's hardly even discussed. But every year, hundreds, maybe thousands of Japanese people literally work themselves to death. And the, the article went through statistic after statistic and told heartbreaking story after story. And then lastly... It started to draw parallels between Japan and our own culture, saying this is happening here now. This is actually starting to happen in the U.S. Why? We work these 50, 60-hour work weeks. Sometimes, sometimes then we rest. Say, man, I got to get enough done. I got to work hard enough to justify some rest. Finish these TPS reports. <laughs> Wrap this project. Find my stapler. I got to do Right? And then, then I'll have earned some rest. Then I'll deserve it. And then when we rest, like how do we rest? What does rest look like for us? Doesn't it like look like running from work for many of us? You guys find yourself doing that? What are some of the ways that we spend our time off? Give me some feedback here. <laughs> just, just sleep. And if I can't sleep, I'm going to take something to help me. Yeah. Sleep. What else? What are some other things we do? Fixing up your house. Yeah, busy, busy work, but it's, it's a way of trying to, like, relax and, and occupy your mind. Yeah, where's some other ways that we do it? Netflix. <laughs> Melt your mind in front of a movie. Or Netflix and chill. You know, just, but Netflix in some category. Too soon, too much? <laughs> yeah. Anything else? What else do we see people doing in our culture to, to try to take the edge off? 
Yeah, drugs, eating, alcohol, anything else? Exercise, yeah, exercise. Jazzercise, I hear it's making a comeback. It's good. And all the while, we're so tired, we're unfulfilled, and we feel disconnected from God. Where is the rest that we long for? Where's the hope for this world that's watching us? Looking for hope. Yeah, at the beach, especially when the temperatures are what they were this past week, right? Let me ask you, how, how, how can we put, think about it, how, how can we put the gospel on display in the rhythms of our life? Like, is life nothing but this endless hamster wheel of activity? By the way, tomorrow's Monday. The pressure's on. But there's good news for you and I, and that is that God is not content to let you continue in that broken cycle. He's not content to let his creation just go on aimlessly without purpose in that never-ending hamster wheel. He's not content to let his children live below their inheritance. God has a plan. God has a calling for your life. In the text today, we read God paints this different picture for us, this, this alternate reality. You guys ready? Genesis I'm, I'm actually going to go to Genesis 1.31 here. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good, and it was evening, and it was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. And by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because... On it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So we see this incredible story of creation that God speaks and things begin to appear and there's light. God says, let there be, and there is, on and on. And he creates, like Kenny said last week, he creates everything that we know about in our world. And then on that sixth day, he gets his hands dirty, he gets down in the dust and forms mankind and breathes. And man becomes a living soul. Literally a product of the spoken word of God and that breath, the pneuma, the spirit of God. And man opens his eyes. And the first thing he sees is Father God. And the first thing he experiences is rest. Because the first full day of man's experience is what? The seventh day. God was busy working and working and working. And God creates man and man opens his eyes, and experiences rest in God's work. Not a bunch of work. God doesn't just show up and say, hey, here's your job description, buddy. Let's get busy. You ready? His first day of, of life is rest. You were created to rest in God's work. We aren't defined by our work. We're created to rest in God's work. And yet, that's the first thing that kind of goes out the window as we start to find our identity in our work, don't we? You meet somebody, what's the first question you ask them? What do you do? Sometimes before you ask their name, right? Oh, what do you do? Plumber. Aha, I got you pegged, right? That's, that's who you are. Right? And we forget that we aren't human beings, like we say all the time here. We, are, you know, we, we, we're, we believe we aren't human beings. We believe we're human doings. But rest, rest is God's starting point for us. See that? The order God set up in creation is rest and then create out of that rest. But we have it backwards. We flipped it 
and we pride ourselves in our strong work ethic, you know. It's like a sign of godliness. Actually, here's, here's a good sign of godliness. Living God's way and God's pattern. And, and for God, rest is vitally important. Resting, this, this idea of Sabbath, is in God's top ten. You ever think about that? God, when he gives these ten commandments, the commandment to keep the Sabbath is right up there with don't kill, don't steal, don't commit adultery, right? So in other words, workaholism for God is right up there on the same list with murder and adultery and robbery. And we all agree that stealing and cheating are are bad, right? Most of us wouldn't go out today and kill somebody (laughs) intentionally, right? Most of us. Why don't we take this command of Sabbath seriously? How many of us actually schedule days of rest and relaxation on the calendar before we schedule all that other stuff? Our meetings and our other days of work. You know, you guys know this. If you don't plan a family vacation out like a year ahead of time and start throwing money in the savings, it's never going to happen, is it? So we do that with certain things in our life, but why don't we do that with the, the stuff God has told us is good for our human flourishing and our own design? Our first experience as created beings with our creator was a day of rest. What do we see there? In order to be fruitful, we have to start from a place of rest, resting in God, abiding in his presence, staying connected with the source of life, the word of God, the spirit of God. That's the only way we can be successful in what God's called us to do. Augustine says this, thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. Let me ask you guys a question. Here's kind of the opposite question. What's it look like to rest in God? Like if you were going to do that on your day off a little more, what, what could that look like? What might be some ways you could rest in God? Unplug? Yeah. Just put, put some things down. Empty your hands a little bit. Yeah. Turn the phone off. Yeah. Who, who else? I saw a hand. Yeah, Marcus. I'm sorry? Journaling. Yeah, reflecting. Taking time to pause and look back and say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me about my life? Hmm, that's good. What else? There's some other ways. Sorry, and by the way, just shout it out because it's dark out there. And so I don't see the hands very clearly. Apologies. Gardening, yeah. Go back to the kind of that first calling. Yeah, good. Music, playing, listening, doing all kinds of stuff creatively. Yeah, sometimes that's sometimes that's soothing, isn't it, for our soul? I love pulling down my guitar and start strumming. And, and my my family doesn't love it as much as I do, but I do it anyway. <laughs> Anybody else? Prayer. Yeah. How about connecting with God? when we're trying to abide in him and, and praying. And there's a thousand different ways to pray, aren't there? Like, I think some of us, we have our, our mode that we go to in prayer, and so, for sometimes prayer can feel like a lot of work. But what's it look like to just grab a cup of coffee with God? You ever done that? Just go strolling down the beach and just talking? You know, it says that Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the day. What if we started to recover that for some of our lives? Hang time with God. Not to be sacrilegious here. I'm just saying. You could try it. Here's a quote from uh, Dr. Tim Keller. 
And by the way, this is from a paper. I posted it last night on the New City Community page um, called Wisdom and Sabbath Rest. Highly recommend it. Sabbath rest is more or about more than external rest of the body. It's about inner rest of the soul. We need rest from the anxiety and strain of our overwork, which is really an attempt to justify ourselves, to gain the money or the status or reputation we think we have to have. Avoiding overwork requires deep rest in Christ's finished work for your salvation. Only then will you be able to walk away regularly from your vocational work and rest. Guys, you were created to rest, and you were created to create from that rest. And that brings us to our next point. Let's look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Now, I want you, as we're reading this, to consider what work looked like, what vocation looked like before the fall back in the garden. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. Then look at uh, chapter 2 briefly. The Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Notice something here, guys. In the beginning, work is not a curse. Work's not a curse. Work was meant to be life-giving, creative calling. Before the fall, God called them to cultivate the garden. We were created to create to steward, to use, like John was talking about, that creative impulse within us to create things. That's what vocation is. It's, it's a creative calling. You know the word vocation? You know, we, we hear the word occupation a lot. The word vocation, what's that first like root, V-O-C? That's Latin. And, and it denotes a voice, a calling. Vocation is, is your creative calling. It's, it's what we do to produce fruitfulness in our lives. Work is a good thing. And of course, like Kenny talked about last week, work was cursed because of sin, but the work itself is not a curse. It's a life-giving creative calling that displays God's image in our lives. You ever wonder what work was like before the fall? Like, we just read about it. I want you to think about this. Do you, can you imagine that work may have been fun? Adventurous? Creative? How purposeful was it? How full of meaning was work? before the fall. Imagine you knew you were right now. Just imagine this scenario. Imagine you knew you were completely provided for. And you could rest in that truth. What kind of work would you be free to do if you weren't afraid of where the money came from? Imagine if everyone who mattered in your life, every, everybody who you ever thought of as important or valuable to you, imagine if they were infinitely pleased with you right now and nothing you could do that could mess that up. Imagine everybody was pleased with you and you could do no wrong. How would you work? How would work be different for you? Yeah. Our, office, our offices would be a lot better, wouldn't they? Instead of office politics, we'd have like office parties, but they'd be the good ones. Yeah. 
be a lot funner, wouldn't it? Imagine if you knew your future was secure and you would always have a beneficial role to play in the world by bringing meaning and value and beauty and truth into the world around you. How would you rest if you knew that your future was secure? In other words, here's what I'm getting at. If you knew you had all of the approval and provision and security that you needed, then would your vocation, would your creative calling look different than it does today? That's what Adam and Eve had. That's what work was like for them. And on the first full day of existence, they rested. God rested, creation rested, and then the next day, work began. And from this, we see this important truth that we're created to work from our rest, not just rest from our work. The reason why they were able to rest is because God had done all the work. There was literally nothing for them to do that first day but rest and trust that God had it. And yet for so many of us, so much of our frantic striving and stress and all the stuff, the negative things we attach to work comes from a place where our hearts are not at rest in the fact that God's got it, that you're provided for, that you're loved, that you're approved of. There's this natural rhythm, rest and create, rest and create. Is that what work looks like for us today? No, it's broken. It's broken from sin. And because of that sin, we've fallen out of step with God and we've fallen out of this rhythm of true rest in him and true creation. Oxford University Press researchers looked at these newspapers and journals and blogs to take a snapshot of everyday language. And the top of the list, guess what the number one word that they saw in all of these journals and blogs they were looking at? It's time. Time was the number one word. Year was number three. Day was number five, and week was number 17. The word work was number 15 on the list, the most frequently used noun in everything that they researched on the web. But guess what wasn't there even on the top 100? The word rest and the word play. What's that say about our social consciousness? The stuff we're putting out there, the stuff we're thinking about, the stuff we're spending time on. That's the bad news. The way we work, dude, it can suck. Right? Why? When we aren't resting in God, work's be, work can become our functional savior. But when we start to recover true gospel rest, we put God essentially back on the throne of our hearts. And we say, you're my provider. You're the one who gives me approval. You're the one who gives me security. You're the one. You're the Lord of my life. And when we can start to trust God and put him back on the throne of our hearts, we start to uncover ways in which our work is part of our creative calling. Consider this. What would creative work look like for you if you really were free from all that fear? I just want you to think about that. No fear, no shame, no guilt, no chasing approval, no chasing your appetites, no chasing your ambitions. Free from that. Loved, accepted giving grace, secure. How would your work change tomorrow? How could your work look more how it was meant to be? Um, one of the guys I was reading this week, I, I like the way he said it. He said, Adam and Eve were put in the garden and they weren't park rangers, they were gardeners. I was like, huh, that's a, that's a cool analogy. Like Kenny mentioned last week, we take... We're, we're, we're called to take the raw materials 
of the earth and develop them for God's glory and for the benefit of humanity. So contractors take the raw materials of sand and cement and use them to create buildings. And artists take the, like John, take the raw materials of color or music and sound waves and, and they arrange them into art. And lawyers take the raw material of justice and codify them into laws that benefit society. And the key is, as we do this, God is at work creating through us. The reformer Martin Luther, he took uh, Psalm 147, uh, which says, and I have it on the screen here. Psalm 147 says, He strengthens the bars of your gates and blesses your people within you and grants peace to your borders and satisfies you with the finest of wheat. And Martin Luther, the great reformer, asked, how, do, how exactly does God do those things? How does he strengthen the bars of the city? Oh, by city planners and architects, by politicians who pass good laws to protect the city. How does he bless our children within our midst? Through the work of teachers and doctors, pediatricians. How does he make peace in our borders? By means of good lawyers and policemen. How does he fill the finest of, fill us with the finest of the wheat? By farmers and factory workers and rest, restaurant owners. Now, our professors, Luther said, are like the masks God wears in caring for the world. And then he said this, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we ask God to give us our daily bread. And he does give us our daily bread. He does it by means of the farmer who planted the harvest of the grain, the baker who made the flour into bread, and the cook who prepared our meal. All of these are in play when God answers our prayer for daily bread. When you realize your work has value, you'll begin to value your work. And I had to say one cheesy line. But I'm going to say it again. When you realize your work has value, you'll begin to value your work. Like the runner in Chariots of Fire who said when he ran, he sensed God's pleasure. Like, Do you, do you sense God's pleasure in your vocation? What is it that you do in life that you're sensing him smiling over you? You feel that call pulling you forward into it. When you realize you're engaged in creative calling, a, a vocation, a, a partnership with God in the ongoing creation of the world, these new creative possibilities begin to open up like you've never noticed. Whether you build things with your hands or write code to create websites and programs or shape minds by teaching or guide x-rays machines or scalpels to bring healing or create policy that shapes the culture of organization, or create art through painting. Whatever you do, it's part of the creative spark that God placed in you. You're creating culture, whether you mean to or not. The question is not whether you're creating culture. The question is, what kind of culture are you creating? Because whatever you do has the power to be either repressive or redemptive. To be motivated by the gospel or to be motivated by false gospel. Everything you do has the power to paint pictures of the way the world was meant to be or to continue reflecting the broken picture we see around us. And what makes the difference? Gospel rest. It's vital to your creative process. And here's the deal. When you rest and you create out of that rest, it's missional. It's missional. Firstly, because the craft itself is missional. Vocation, by its very definition, is, is a calling. It's God sending you on mission to do something in the world. But also, God places a secondly in your workplace, and that's a mission field where you are a vocational minister there. Jeff Anderselt says it this way. He says, 
We're all full-time vocational ministers. God just reroutes our paychecks. Have you thought about your workplace as a mission field? And how much time do we spend at work? Do you realize how much opportunity you have in the lives of your coworkers, your bosses, employees, these, these people that God has seen fit to place in your life? They watch how you work. If you're, are you lazy, passionate? How, how do you work? What's your rhythm? Like they listen to how you treat others. Are you lovingly? Are you being gracious or, or not? Do you dive into the office politics and the, and the, you know, eating people for lunch? Because people are watching your life. They're reading between the lines. What are they seeing between the lines? How much of God is showing up in your, in your work week? Let me ask you some questions. Are you overly stressed at work or are you working from a place of rest? think about this. Are you freaked out about things with your business? Or is your heart resting in God's sovereignty and his plan in your life? Are you irritated or talking about others in an effort to try to prove yourself? Or are you resting in what God says about you? Don't you ask yourself today, am I living a life worth imitating? Do, do people want what I have? Like, are they asking questions because of what they see in my life? And here's the deal. If, if they are, if that's happening, it's not by your power. And if you need help, if, you need, you need, if, if, if that's not the reality you're experiencing in your daily work week, you need to tap into the power of the Holy Spirit. And here's a quick explanation of that. Um, imagine a pendulum swinging back and forth, to and fro, and the shape created by that pendulum is, is a semicircle. Some of you guys know where I'm going with this. And the result of this rhythm is fruitfulness, okay? In Genesis 1, God told Adam and Eve to bear fruit. Jesus comes along in John 15, and he tells his disciples to bear fruit. Look at what he says. John chapter 15. I am the true vine, and my father's the gardener. He cuts off every branch of me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself, man. That's convicting. How much of my life is spent trying to bear fruit on my own effort? It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I feel like sometimes I look at my life and I'm like this branch lying on the ground, totally detached from the vine, like trying to push fruit out. Maybe that's just me. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Man, some of my life. Such branches are picked up and thrown in the fire and burned. But if you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. How do you bear fruit? By abiding in him, remaining in him. It's a rhythm we see in nature. Like a few anniversaries ago, Nancy and I went up to Temecula and went horseback riding through one of the wineries up there. And winery? Is that the right word? Winery. 
wine fields, whatever. Somebody help me out. That's not vineyard. That's it. There's a word there. Um, and and you're walking around, you're, you're talking to people, and they're telling you about like oh, I think it was like uh, toward the fall they had already started doing harvesting, and they were um, they were cutting off the extra grapes and throwing them away. Like, why are you guys doing that? Oh, we're pruning them. Why? Why would you throw good grapes away? Because they want to produce better grapes. Because some of those plants can be so covered with fruit that none of it's any good. Just tons of little sour grapes all over the place. And I, man, that's my life at times. I can be so busy doing so many things and not actually getting anything done. Anybody been there before? Sometimes God wants to prune us. Take some stuff off your plate. Are you open to God's process in your life? Are you open to him pruning you? Are you abiding in him so that you can bear much fruit? There's this rhythm, and this, this rhythm is from abiding and growing. You bear fruit, and then you got to take time to prune back and say, man, I, I, I can't just bear fruit all the time. You know, we expect more of ourselves than we expect out of trees. How many trees do you know that just produce fruit 365 days a year? Yeah, how many of us, that's the story of our life? Just trying to be on, go, 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 produce fruit. Fill out those reports. Get those hours. Not even like, like the report said. 57% of people leave vacation time totally unused. Why? Oh, we got, we got to produce fruit. We're human doings. This is either really boring or really heavy. One of the two. I don't know. <laughs> I'm getting like very small chuckles from people. <laughs> like uncomfortable laughs, you know? <laughs> Mm. So what's this rhythm look like? Uh, I'll just make it practical here. Some, some practical things. Let me ask you. On your calendar, like if you, if you use Google Calendar, great, or if you um, carry one of those three-ring binders and handwrite it in, I, whatever. On your calendar, do you have days of rest planned out weekly? <laughs> Truth. How about, I mean, each day even. Do you have times to rest in God? In the morning, evening, at some point, you know, you take time to abide. And yeah, there's a sense in which hopefully we're always abiding in God and being aware of his presence. But if we don't take those special times and carve them out, oh, man, how many of you guys have experienced how thin that can get? Just how numb we can get to his voice in our daily lives. How about monthly or seasonally? Do you have time set out on your calendar of abiding? Do you have times where you take things off your plate and prune back and say, God, what's in this, this next season? What kind of fruit do you want to bear in my life? Um, I, I'm guilty. Like, for years, I didn't take a Sabbath at all. It was years of church planning, and I was killing myself. I was working, like, three different jobs trying to put food on the table, and the church planning was, like, my guilty pleasure, my hobby thing on the side. And uh, Drew knows, because he was helping coach me through some of those days, dark days. And he's like, how's your wife, Bill? I was like, oh, I forgot I'm married. <laughs> Just busy, busy all the time, going a thousand different ways. Didn't have a day of rest. And, and uh, one of my mentors was asking me, he's like, hey, man, what, why don't you take a day of rest? And I said, I, don't have to, I literally don't have time. I can't keep one of these jobs if I take a day off. And uh, 
And actually, my wife, she was talking to me, and she said, um, well, what if you just started with a couple hours? Like, give God something. I was like, all right, two hours, okay, I'll try two hours. And just started with that, like training wheels. And eventually, it grew to a day. And you know what's crazy? I found, I, I've, many of you have probably found this to be true, the more we will actually give to God, the more he does with the time that we're working. Have you noticed that? It's kind of like with giving in the Old Testament. It's like, hey, there's a portion that belongs to me. Give it to me. Otherwise, the worms are going to get it. It's the same with our time. It's like God says, hey, there's this time I want you to spend with me, and I will rejuvenate you, and I will pour into you, and your time of work will be even more fruitful, even more fulfilling. But because we don't trust that, we don't give God these portions of our life. We hold them for ourselves, and we're trying to prove ourselves, and we're trying to earn our value, and we're trying to secure our future. And our life gets eaten up by work until we burn out and we've got nothing left. And we say, God, why are you letting my life be so crappy? I'm a Christian. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You guys feel in the hot seat right now? And, and Nancy and I both take Sabbaths now. In fact, she Sabbaths way different than I do. She's way more extroverted. She gets with a bunch of girls, and they go surfing or take pottery classes and uh, ninja classes and all kinds of stuff that they do. And I, I'm a high-functioning introvert, so I'm out on the beach with John Steinbeck hanging out um, somewhere away from all the voices, away from all the noise. Turn that phone off. So if you call me on a Monday morning and I don't get back to you, it is not out of not loving you. It is about trying to honor God and getting some time with him. It's so important that we have that in our lives. I want to ask you guys, do you have that? One of the things we started doing this past year, I had gone 12, 13 years of ministry, and I had never taken a sabbatical. And last year, I took my first ever sabbatical. <sighs> that was amazing. You guys ever taken an extended break? And Kenny just got back from his first ever sabbatical. How are you feeling? In October, I'm about to take a next one. We actually, we started saying, let's take a month a year for everybody who's leading at New City and say, you need to step back from leading for at least one month out of the year, every year, and just come and remember you're a human being, not a human doing. You're not what you do for God in the kids' ministry or on the music team. You are, an, like, because of what Christ has done for you, you're enough. Just sit in his grace and receive. So we actually came out with a one-pager on one-month sabbaticals, and we're asking everybody in the church to consider what it looks like to, to plan ahead and, and step back from ministry for at least a month out of the year and just remember that you're not what you do, but you're a result of what he's done for you. Amen? Amen. All right, let me, that, that took longer than I meant for it to. Um, I think the point is this. The sermon's not about your work. It's not about what you can do for God. The sermon is about primarily the work that God has done for you. So let's briefly look at the gospel as we start to wrap up. Jesus lived this rhythm out in his life of abiding in the Father and then bearing fruit, of pruning back and resting. Uh, if you just look at the book of Mark, I'll give you some examples up here on the board briefly. Jesus rested through extended times of retreat. Jesus is alone at the lake before teaching. Jesus withdraws from his disciples. Jesus goes up in the mountains and calls his disciples. You see it over and over. Jesus gets away from ministry. He gets away from the busyness. He gets away from his job. 
And he gets alone with the Father and remembers the Father's heart for him. Dr. Keller, here's another quote. The purpose of Sabbath rest is not simply to rejuvenate yourself in order to do more production, nor is it the pursuit of pleasure. The purpose of Sabbath is to enjoy your God. Life in general, what you have accomplished in the world through his help and the freedom of what you have in the gospel, the freedom from slavery to any material object or human expectation. Sabbath rest is a sign of the hope that we have in the world to come. And we see Jesus modeled that rest. And then out of that rest, he created. He was, Kenny said last week, he was a carpenter. He was a rabbi. He traveled around. He ministered from town to town. He preached and taught. He healed. He prayed. He discipled his followers like all the time. He creatively engaged in his vocation. Here's the gospel. For all of us who are sitting here today feeling the weight of this and saying, man, I'm so far from the promise of this healthy rhythm in my life. I feel out of step with what God has for me. Here's the good news today. Jesus lived the perfect life in your place. Jesus rested in the Father's love and his approval and his sovereignty for every time that we seek those, those false saviors in those false places of rest. Jesus creatively engaged for every time we've run from our creative calling. And then he died a death that we should have died. He became sin who knew no sin. He suffered under the weight of all our striving. He toiled under the load of our false resting places. He was crushed under the pain of our shame and guilt so that we could find true rest in our Father's love and grace for us. And out of that rest, we could discover our true creative calling. Tim Chester says, Jesus cried on the cross, it is finished. The job is done. The task is complete. There is full atonement. There is nothing left for you to do. Here's what you need to do about your busyness. Nothing. Everything has already been done. It's finished. Today, if the gospel is true, you're free. You don't have to spend one more second of your life striving to try to find life. Because abundant life is yours. It's been purchased by his precious blood. You don't have to hide from work in the bottom of a bottle or melt your mind in front of Netflix. You can experience true soul rest today in him. Now, I'll wrap with what Jesus says here. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn from the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. And close your eyes with me. As you, as you begin to like look at his finished work in your place, I, I pray that that truth of the gospel wouldn't just be a, a mantra that you hear, but that it would be an intense reality that begins to melt your heart right now. As you see what he did for you, his, his work on your behalf, I pray that you'll be free to creatively engage like never before in your calling. I pray you'll be free to plan rest in your life. Like today, go home with a calendar and start planning rest. Because you know you're not defined by your doing, you know you're not defined by any of those things, that he's your provider, he will supply your needs because you know he's in control and 
If you seek him first in his righteousness, everything else will be added to you. Father, I, I pray for this group right now. I've had so many conversations this past month with people in New City who are wiped out and exhausted. And you came to bring us life abundant and still somehow so many of us seem to be missing out on that. So many of us seem to fall back in the trap of finding our identity in our work and what we do. Falling back into (laughs) 25-hour work days and eight-day work weeks. Exhaustion. Lord, I pray you would free us right now. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would break through some of the fog of lies that we've believed with your light and that you would show us a loving, patient Father who is our provider, who is the source of our life, that we would find life in you, that we would quit looking for life in all the other places we've been searching for, and that we would begin to engage, God, as we find rest, as we encounter the true rest that the gospel affords us, that nothing else can afford us but what you've done for us in your work that we would find rest in out of that, that we would be able to engage in the vocation you have for us from a completely different place than we have in the past. That we would see it as an extension of your work, that we would see it for all that it can be. And ultimately, like the, the tagline of the series is that we would begin to see work as worship to you, a response to your great grace and your great love. And Lord, if there's people here who've never heard all the wonderful work you've done in our place and that you were willing to come yourself and lay down your life for us and then take it back up again for the hope that we have of this beautiful, bright future that sometimes in this dark world is hard to imagine. Lord, I I pray for those that are hearing this for the first time. I pray that they would start to experience a curiosity awakening within their soul, a hunger. And and that they would find you to be true to your promise that their hunger and thirst after righteousness will be filled. As we come down and partake in communion and we remember what you did, I pray that that bread would really remind us of your perfect righteousness, of every day of your life, your perfect righteousness given for us, that we're clothed in it. And that your blood was spilled out on the cross so that we could have pardon and forgiveness for all our sins and for all the false saviors we've sought. So as we take the bread and the communion, the, the, the grape juice into our hand, help us to remember the goodness of the gospel and to take it within ourselves and begin to feast on the life that you've given for us. And to begin to hope. I pray, I pray some dead hearts would start beating again in this place. Have your way, Lord, in the next uh, few minutes of, of ministry. In Jesus' name, amen.